It's good to see you. Um, I'm blessed. I'm blessed, and I hope you feel blessed as well to be here, to be in the house of God. You know, real quick, we do have a small business meeting right after church today. There will be a Zoom link as well for those that are watching online to be able to take part of that. There was a special email sent out yesterday to kind of give you details on that Zoom link. If you didn't receive the email, that probably means we don't have a current email for you. So if you, if you want to give that to us, then we will add that to our system. You know, I, I really hope that the word challenged you last week. I really hope and pray that it challenged you. It challenged me. The presence of God was so strong, was so thick. It was just such an anointed time when we saw the video where it said, Do it again, Lord. Do it again, Lord. Do it in me. And I think it's the personal challenge that God has given us on this journey that we're on to say, God, enough of the games. Just do it again, Lord. Do it in me. And I want to begin this new series today. We're going to be in the book of Haggai. It might take us close to six weeks to get through it all, but we're going to take our time. And and this, this word today from from the Bible, it, it was directed to God's people some, you know, many, many, many years ago. And, and it was intended to address a specific situation at that time. His message, though, is nevertheless timeless in its relevance. Because the spiritual issues and problems that he had to deal with in his day tend to recur in every generation of the church. So I want to take some time and I want to talk about those, okay? Haggai is one of the shortest books of the entire Bible and, and it's included into the portion of the Bible that's known as the Minor Prophets. He, he was a Hebrew prophet during the building of the second temple in Jerusalem. He was one of the prophets of the restoration, which just means that he ministered to the people of God after their return from exile. He was one of the last voices to be heard before the coming of Christ. And unlike most of the prophets of God, there was a great spiritual awakening, a revival under his ministry. And, and with that being the case, it's why it, it, it's such an encouraging book to read. It shows us, and I want you to understand this, it shows us what can happen when God's word is preached and when God's word begins to work in the hearts of God's people. It is a perfect example of how God can show a nation what's going on and speak through a prophet to speak to that nation and that nation be transformed by the power of God. And more than anything, I need you to hear my heart today. That's what I want for this place. I want us to, to be filled. I want us to be full to the brim of the power and the glory and the mercy and the love of God. I want us to be in his presence. So I want to read today in Haggai chapter 1, starting in verse number 1. It says, In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Now I need you to understand something about this time. Because the, 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 this is what was said. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say. Now, I need you to understand it because this isn't God that's saying this. It's, it's the people saying that the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. 
These people say the time has not come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then it goes on to say, then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. What's he saying? Take a good long look in the mirror. Make sure that what we are doing, make sure that how we present ourselves, make sure that what we say and that what comes out of our mouth to other people, what we make sure that goes into our ears, what into our heart, because whatever comes in makes its way out. He says, give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. This is the warning that he gave them. He said, you expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew, and the earth its crops. I called, I called, the Lord is speaking, I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and everything else the ground produces, on people, and livestock and all and on all the labor of your hands. And I really think we need to take a long look at this passage and learn from some of the things that the people did that maybe we don't make the same mistake so that God doesn't say that about us. He told these people, I am going to withhold from you because you have allowed my house to be a ruin. He said, you have taken care of yours, but you've left mine alone. He said, you, you have been so okay and complacent with how you are that you forgot it's not about you, but it's, it's about me, and it's about my house, and it's about building my kingdom, and it's about seeing lost people come to know Christ, and it's about seeing fruit. There's two themes that are seen over and over in this book, and there's spiritual apathy. And the word apathy, if you don't know, is a lack of emotion, a lack of concern. God's people in this time had a lack of concern over God's temple. Spiritual apathy, but also spiritual awakening, which we're going to get into next week. But what are the evidences of spiritual apathy? You see, God was sent by God, uh, Haggai was sent by God to minister to a people who had fallen into a state of spiritual apathy. What, what were some of the signs? The first sign was this, that God's work was being neglected. God's work wasn't being done. Now, in order for us to see this in in its entirety, we need to understand something of the context of this scripture. In 586 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar invaded and overthrew Jerusalem. The city was razed to the ground, and the temple was completely destroyed. God's people were taken into Babylon as captives, and there they remained for 70 years. The exile was God's judgment upon the people for their sin. It was a time of great sorrow for God. 
God's people. A time when they felt cut off from God and could no longer worship Him as they used to. Their mood is summed up in the book of Psalms where it says this, By the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept. When we remembered Zion, there on the poplars we hung our harps. For there our captors asked us for songs. Our, our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? If I forget you, Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you. If I do not consider Jerusalem. Jerusalem, my highest joy. Remember, Lord, what the Edomites did on the day Jerusalem fell. Tear it down, they cried. Tear it down to its foundations. This is a, a good depiction of how the people felt at this time. You see, although God had punished them by means of exile, He did not abandon them. The Scripture says, I will not leave you nor forsake you. There might be seasons of your life where you don't feel God, where you don't see God where you don't think he's near but I'm telling you this morning as God be my witness he will never leave you he will never leave you and I promise as as I am as real as standing on this stage God will never leave his church you see they were in captivity he had promised that it would not be permanent but it would last 70 years after which time they'd be able to return to their homeland, rebuild the temple, offer sacrifices once again, and restore Jerusalem. So in 536 B.C., the Babylonian Empire fell to the Persians, and King Cyrus issued an edict giving permission to the Jews to return to Jerusalem with the express purpose of rebuilding the temple of the Lord. That's Ezra chapter 1. Okay? Are you with me? So about... All, all, all these Jews, they, they took up the offering under the leadership of Zerubbabel and the religious leader Joshua. They returned to Jerusalem amid scenes of great joy. We're finally going to see the temple rebuilt. This is such a great time for God's people. Soon after their arrival, they began to work on the rebuilding of the temple. They, they cleared away the rubble from the temple court. They rebuilt the altar of the burnt offerings and recommended the offering of daily sacrifice yet again. By the next spring they had laid the foundations of the temple and there was great celebration in Jerusalem at that time. However, when they began to do all of those things, they began to run into some problems. You see the Samaritans, those who had been left behind at the time the greater part of the nation was taken into Babylon and whom since then had intermarried with heathen and adopted their forms of worship, they came offering their help to the rebuilding project. Their offer was refused. And they, out of spite, listen, proceeded to do all that they could do to frustrate and to stop the work of the temple. They terrorized the people. They wrote letters to the political lead leaders. And they succeeded in getting the work stopped. 
the people of God became discouraged. Their, their initial zeal waned. They no longer had a heart for the work and the temple lay undone. And in the years that came next, the people became increasingly concerned about their own personal affairs. And for the next 14 years, hear me, for 14 years the work of the temple was neglected. The work of rebuilding the temple should have been the top priority. And as a matter of fact, that's why they were sent back with the express purpose of rebuilding the temple. But the work had been abandoned and with the passing of time, the people became more apathetic towards the work. And this is the first sign that the body of Christ can see spiritual apathy among themselves is when God's work is being neglected. And this is one of the first signs is that in the life of a believer, in the life of a church, you see, just as God had a great work for the people to do in Haggai's day, the work of the temple, so too has he called us to undertake a great work for him, a rebuilding project, a work of raising a holy temple to the Lord. Only the temple that we're called to raise is not a temple made out of bricks and mortar, but a, a temple that's composed of the living stones of men and women and boys and girls who have been saved by the grace of God. We have been called to make disciples. We have been tasked to carry the gospel. We have been tasked to raise a hallelujah in this place as well as outside the walls. You see, the temple of the Old Testament was a type of Christ and a type of his church. You remember what Jesus said to the Jews in John chapter 2. He said, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. What's he talking about? He's not talking about an earthly temple. He's talking about his body because the temple is no longer a building, but rather we carry the temple with us everywhere that we go we can proclaim the good news of Jesus everywhere that we go and that work should never be neglected this is what Peter affirms when speaking in chapter 2 verse 5 here he says you also like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. He's using the analogy of the temple. The Lord Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone around which all the other stones are built. And as each sinner comes to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, it's like another brick is added to this edifice that God is raising in this world. You see, the Apostle Paul uses the same temple analogy on several occasions when he said this, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone in his the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, too, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Second Corinthians chapter 6 also says what agreement is there between the temple of God and idols. For we are the temple of the living God. We are the temple of the living God. One aspect of the work to which you and I both individually and corporately are called by God to do is the building of this spiritual temple, of seeing sinners being saved and added to the church. Now, of course, we cannot save them. 
We cannot add anybody to the church, but we can be and we are meant to be instrumental in doing so by reaching out to sinners with the good news of the gospel. This means that God has ordained me to when it says that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? Faith comes by hearing the message. That's what we're called to do. Each one of us has the duty to be involved in this work. A duty to share the gospel with others, our friends, our co-workers, our children, our neighbors. We're meant to be reaching out to a community. We are not meant to be apathetic towards the world around us. We should not have a lack of concern or a lack of emotion of somebody living the rest of their life in hell. We should be on the forefront doing everything we can do to empty hell, to reach down in and get as many people we can into the kingdom of God. What's the point? Church isn't always about what I can get out of it. Now don't hear me wrong this morning. We can receive in church. We can. But it's about more than just that. We should be looking at this from the perspective of what can I receive, not so I can keep it for myself, but so that I can turn around and give to somebody else like God gave me. I had a pastor of mine when I was a youth pastor, and, and uh, somebody that I looked up to, somebody I admired, somebody that I trusted, he said, Chris, church is not a country club where everybody just gets, 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 and gets. He said, it's a place where I worship God. It's a place where I come to receive what it is God has for me that day. It's not about what I want, but, but rather what Christ wants to do in me. You see, there's another very important work to which God's called us to besides the work of building up the church by reaching out with the gospel, but it's also the work of building ourselves up spiritually. Because this is a church house, we are to build this church, but we're also to build our own spiritual being. It says in His Word, it says, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in your midst? You are a temple of God. He says the same thing in, 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 in chapter 6 here where he says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? And church, let me tell you, God has called each one of us as Christians to engage in an ongoing spiritual building work in our personal lives. What's that mean? Now I want to say something here that may be unpopular to some. But I'm going to say it because it's the truth as evidenced in his word. The job of a pastor is to teach. The job of a pastor is to train. The job of a pastor is to care for, to love. The job of the pastor is to equip the saints. And I will do my best to do my job. But let me tell you something. It is unrealistic expectations placed on me or any pastor in this church to say I am going to get 100% of my spiritual life from you. There comes a time where if I'm at home and I need a word from the Lord, I can open up my own Bible. I can pull up something on the, on, 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 on the internet and I can find God for myself. You see, God has called us in this, this world of being a spiritual being, of trying to build up our spiritual self. He's given us the ability to feed our soul. The temple was known as a place of prayer. 
And prayer is to be an integral part of our lives, both in this building and outside. The temple was a place of worship, and the worship of God is to be something that is central to our life, not just in this building, but outside as well. The temple was a place of sacrifice, where we're to present our bodies as living sacrifices unto God. The temple was a place of service, and we're to be men and women whose lives are given over to the service of God. God's called us to engage in this work. The question, however, have we been applying ourselves to that work or have we, like the people in Haggai's day, lost our zeal and let it go? It's an honest question. And I want you to know from the bottom of my heart, I'm not here on a spiritual high horse speaking to a congregation, but rather I'm sitting down at that in that chair preaching to myself too. Because we have to do better in not only building the church, but building our own spiritual life. Or we're going to find that we've become apathetic towards the things of God. Number one. Number one was that God's work was being neglected. Number two, the thing where spiritual apathy showed up in this story was that God's people were content. With the passing of time, the people who had returned to Jerusalem got used to worshiping God amidst the dilapidated surroundings of the ruined temple. They had set up the altar in which, in what was once the temple court, and day by day they brought their sacrifices by way of worshiping God. Now although they knew as they looked around them at the ruins of the temple that this wasn't the way it should be, the fact of the matter was they were not troubled enough by the state of things to do anything about it. They were happy enough to just let things continue as they were. And while they initially had no intention of leaving things the way that they did, for as long as they did, 14 years, as time passed, they quite simply got so used to their surroundings that it didn't really bother them anymore. Had they been concerned about the state of things, then they would have done something about it. But the fact of the matter was they were too content with their situation, and such contentment was evidence of spiritual apathy in their life. You see, they were willing to keep it just the way it was at risk of losing the promised land. We must be careful in, and I'm not even talking about the church. Let's get the in-house stuff out. Let's just talk about our spiritual lives at home. Have we neglected our personal time with God? Have we neglected our prayer time, our time of praise, our time of worship? Have we neglected that? Because if we're so content with not having that anymore, then we have been apathetic towards our relationship with God. You see, as Christians, we can so easily drift into that mindset. We may not intend for it to happen, but as time passes, we can get so used to and so content with things being the way that they are that we don't do anything to change the situation, even though we know that things are not the way they should be. You see, we don't see sinners being saved, and in time, we can actually get used to that, and it's a sad reality. We wouldn't say we were content with the situation, but I wonder, does our lack of activity, does our lack of fruit does our unwillingness to speak to people about the gospel not bear testimony against us we must be the people of God what I've noticed over this time of coronavirus 
And can I say my prayer is that it goes away. I'm tired of it. Can I say that? And I don't want to be so unpolitically or just uh, uh, just correct, incorrect. I don't know. I, I don't even care anymore. I'm ready for this to be done. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of it. But what's happened is the enemy will use anything that he can do to get into the mind of a believer. And what's happened during this season, and hear my heart, I promise to my Lord Jesus, I'm not speaking to any personal being. I'm speaking generally as a church. We have gotten so content with watching church online that we forgot that it pays to be in the house of God. Can I say that? I'm all for the internet. I love that we have a, a, a camera shoot. We got a camera right there. We got a camera back there. We even got a camera inside of the, 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 the a drum cage so that everybody knows who Adelbert is, okay? That's important. Everybody needs to know Delbert. He's awesome, and he's an amazing person. If you don't know him, get to know him, okay? I'm glad that we have those things. But nothing will replace the meeting together in the house of God. And we cannot get so complacent with being in our living rooms, watching God, then actually coming into the house of God, being with like-minded people and experiencing the, the, oh, the, the, the most powerful presence of God. We need church. We need it in our families. We need it in our personal life. We need God. The work of God was being neglected. People were being content. And number three, God's people were making excuses. Watch verse 2. Haggai chapter 1, verse 2 again. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people, these people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. The work on the temple had been stopped, and it seems that at some point the suggestion had been made regarding the possibility of recommencing the work, but the overwhelming opinion among the people was, no, it's not the right time to undertake such a project. The time has not yet come. This is what the people were saying. It's not that we don't want to do the work. No, we have every intention of doing the work at some point, just not yet. Now, there may have been a different reasons as to why they said it wasn't the right time for the work to begin. For example, in this particular time, the first day of the sixth month in their calendar, okay, which corresponds to the end of August in ours, was a very busy time of the year for the people. It was a time of the grape harvest. And maybe the people were saying, look, we're too busy at the minute to do the work. We, we've got to get the grapes gathered in. And we need every minute of the day to work in the fields. And God wouldn't expect us to work on the temple right now, right? Especially the busiest time of the year. It's not the right time yet. Or maybe they were afraid that if they started the work on the temple, they might upset the Samaritans again. And they might cause some problems for us. And it might just be best for it to leave it be for just a couple more years so so that they 
don't get too riled up. Maybe some of them were saying it wasn't the right time because they hadn't gathered enough money in order to do the job properly. After all, it was God's house, and, and they wanted to make a really good job of it. The, uh, the, 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 the matter was things hadn't been too good in recent years. The harvest had been poor. The cost of living had gone up, and they couldn't afford to give very much money to the building fund. Best to wait until things pick up, until we can accumulate the right resources to build the temple, right? Maybe some were offering the very pious reason that according to God's own word of prophecy that 70 years since the fall of Jerusalem hadn't been completed yet. As a matter of fact, Jerusalem fell in of. 586 B.C. And if you take 70 from that, that would be 516 B.C. And that's still four years away. So we don't want to run ahead of God. So let's just wait and rebuild the temple later. Do you see it? Do you see it? I mean, do you really see it? They were tasked with a job. And they were coming up with all these excuses on why they couldn't. Do it, but as you read what God says through the prophet Haggai, you realize that far from being a justifiable reason for not undertaking the work of God, what they offered instead was a vain, empty excuse by which they tried to cover up their sinful neglect of the work to which God had called them to do and to which they ought to have been applying themselves to. They didn't do what God wanted them to do because of what they wanted to do. And let me tell you something, church. It's a dangerous place to be when you walk into church and you say, this is what I want, this is what I want, and and if I don't get it my way, I'm going to take my ball and I'm going to play over there. It's not scriptural. It's not scriptural. We have to be good with the things of God. You see, what would God think of our excuses? What would God think of our excuses? And trust me, again, I'm not here to cast stones. I'm right there with you too. The Lord's just positioned me to teach this today. I wonder what God would say to us about time management. Well, how have you spent your time this last week? We're brilliant. Brilliant at making excuses for not doing what God wants us to. When God's work is neglected... When God's people are content and when God's people make excuses for not doing what God wants them to do, there you have the unmistakable evidence of spiritual apathy. A lack of concern, a lack of interest, a lack of emotion for the things of God. Can I say this morning, if the band would come, may God help each of us to search and examine our own hearts To see what we can do to better represent Jesus Christ. And I want the last part of this passage today to be a warning to us. When it said in Haggai Haggai chapter 1 verse 9. You expected much. But see it turned out to be little. What you brought home I blew away. Why? Why? Because of my house which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called, I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and everything else the ground produces on people and livestock and all the labor 
of your hands. And can I say, church, I don't want God to withhold from me. I need God. Miss Tony, I've got needs I've been praying for this week. We, we need answers for some things. And they're private things, so I've not made them public. But we need answers. And I'm sitting here saying, God, don't withhold from me. Don't withhold from me. God, if there's something I've done that's been apathetic towards what you need me to do, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's why we should never, and don't, this is not a message about money. So don't go home and say, well, that pastor just preached on tithing again. Don't withhold your tithes. Because when you do, God withholds the blessings from you. Don't withhold your praise. Because when you do, He withholds His blessings from you. Don't withhold your worship. Don't withhold your time of reading God's word. Don't withhold your personal time with him because I don't want him to declare a drought on my life. And I surely don't want him to declare a drought on yours. Let us be the people of God. What's the scripture say? Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. God, let everything that comes out be holy and acceptable. Let everything that comes in be holy and acceptable. Let everything that goes out be holy and acceptable. Let everything that comes in be holy and acceptable. Let everything that goes out be holy and acceptable. Let everything that comes in be holy and acceptable. God, can we? Can I preach to myself? Let everything that goes in be holy and acceptable. And let everything that comes out be holy and acceptable. God, don't withhold you from me. God, I need it. Take this challenge, take it to heart, take this challenge to heart today. Let's not neglect his work, let's not get content, and let's stop making excuses. Let's be the church. Let's be the church. Do it again, Lord. Do it again. And do it in me. Can you lift your hands right where you are today and say that, Lord, do it again. Lord, do it again. Lord, do it in me. Lord, let our temple, let our temple be holy and acceptable in your sight. 
Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be holy and acceptable in your sight, my Lord, my strength, and my Redeemer.